0: geared toward and focused on discipleship. And so I thought, what better uh, topic to talk about this morning than the, uh, a call uh, to discipleship. That's the title of the, of the sermon there this morning is a call to discipleship. And so just to give uh, some background or some explanation, I guess, a little bit, is I, this isn't going to be um, a... Uh, uh, a very narrow focus on discipleship. I want to kind of broaden the scope a little bit and help you understand uh, discipleship from a couple different passages. And hopefully through that, you'll take these passages and study them for yourself and be able to narrow that focus about how God would have you be involved uh, in discipleship and whatever that might look like in your context, uh, in your situation. So if you have your Bible, uh, be opening to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is where we're going to begin this morning. We're going to be in three passages, uh, Matthew 28, and then 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and lastly we'll be in Acts 19. They'll all be on the screen, and hopefully they're big enough, hopefully it's big enough that you guys can see that and, and read that and, um, and know. So the question we're asking ourselves is discipleship, a call to discipleship, the why, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, the how and then the what. So the why, the how, and the what. And we're going to look at these three passages to help us understand from a biblical perspective uh, why we need to be, uh, all of us, engaged uh, in discipleship. Um, So if you have Matthew 28, you're very familiar with this passage. This is obviously the Great Commission um, passage. And usually when the Great Commission is... uh, when we quote that, usually we only quote verses eight, uh, 19 and 20. But I, I thought, you know, hey, verse 18 is very, very important to the rest of what Jesus has to say in those verses. Uh, and so if you have your, your Bible out, um, let's read uh, what Jesus says here, uh, starting with verse 18. Um, Matthew writing says, And Jesus came, to, uh, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we see Jesus give his disciples the great commission. Uh, Understanding that this is uh, post- Post resurrection, Jesus has died, has been buried, and he's risen from the grave, and he's with his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven, so the last thing he tells them in the gospel, according to the gospel of Matthew, is to go make disciples. Make disciples. So, why do we, as believers in Christ, need to be involved in discipleship? Uh, Because Jesus has been given all authority. That's point A. uh, There, Jesus has been given all authority. Um, through his process of death, burial, and resurrection, uh, uh, Jesus, not that he needed to earn the right, but through that process, he earned the right to have all authority. There are many passages uh, uh, on that. Um, One is Philippians chapter 2. Paul was writing, and uh, he says, you know, uh, that every knee will bow to the name of Christ. Every knee... Uh, will bow uh, at the name of Jesus. Just a matter of if you're going to do it on this side of eternity or on the other. Um, Every knee is going to bow to Christ regardless of whether they're a believer or not. Um, And so Jesus has the authority. Uh, No other person in history um, can claim this, has claimed this, or probably some have claimed that, but none of them has been true for none of those people except for Jesus. Only Jesus could... Claim that and it be an actual um, in fact what else do we learn from this uh, this verse that Jesus has been given all authority for his disciples this was a call to trust uh, that Jesus has been Jesus has the authority and uh, and he because of that he calls us to go and this is a this is a call to trust a sovereign plan uh, and command of jesus he's about ready to give them a pretty uh, strong command with a large task uh, in mind. And so he wants them to understand that he has authority to not only to do that, but to help them through that process. Uh, the second reason why we need to be in, in discipleship is point B is because Jesus said to go. Jesus said to go and make disciples. Um, we don't need, you don't need me to explain to you <laughs> uh, what that means. That. Uh, he is obviously has the authority to say that and, and calls us to go uh, into the world and to make disciples. For the, for the uh, apostles, for those disciples, the task um, that Jesus gave them was to reproduce themselves by going, baptizing, and teaching. Uh, in that verse uh, 19 and the first part of 20, he says, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Uh, the goal for the disciples was to go and make and make disciples, to reproduce. Uh, that's the goal that we have for the disciples in Senegal. Uh, when we train them, they they go and they take the gospel and they share the gospel and then they uh, once they see somebody come to Christ, they disciple them. They train them in a one-on-one context. I think sometimes, uh, at least in my mind, we've been confused about what discipleship is, and we say, "Well, that's, uh, that's Sunday school or small group." And discipleship can happen in those contexts. But for me, I know that when I've been discipled by folks, it's I've grown more in discipleship in a one-on-one setting. It's just more. In, it's just a more intimate setting. It's um, you can you're going to share a lot more in that setting than you ever will in Sunday school or or uh, a small group. Uh, definitely more than uh, in a setting like this, obviously. It's important to note that, that verse uh, 19 there doesn't say, go therefore and make converts. Um, for Rachel and I, uh, being from America, white as a ghost, uh, I can walk out into the village and, and synagogue and I can share the gospel and I'll get a lot of raised hands. Um, and, and, and evangelizing, that is, uh, that is a noble and great task. But there's more, there's more to being a believer than just to be a convert. It's about being a disciple. Jesus calls us to be disciples, not to be converts. Uh, and so there's, there's more that needs to be done. And so with that in mind, when we go into the villages in synagogue and synagogues, we preach the gospel and people get saved. We can't just stop there. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to see that convert become a disciple who becomes a reproducible disciple who will take the gospel to his next door neighbor or her next door neighbor or her friend at the market or whatever the case might be. You see, you understand that it's more to, it's more to be a Christian than just be a convert. God calls us to be uh, disciples and reproducible uh, disciples at that. When we think about uh, the beginning of verse 20, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, this is an important concept. It's not just, we don't, we don't want to just teach them. Jesus adds to, to all that I've commanded you. There's a, there's a goal in mind. Obedience is, uh, is, is necessary and important and part of being uh, a believer uh, in Christ. Again, evangelism is important, but it's not the end-all, be-all for us as believers. There has to be growth and uh, development and discipleship that takes place uh, in the life of the believer. We must train those that come to Christ to be able to re- reproduce themselves, so that they can disciple others. Um, I wrote later on in my uh, notes here that um, discipleship is not a uh, for self's sake. Uh, God calls us to discipleship for uh, for others' sake. There are there are people around you that need uh, need discipleship. There are people around you that need you to lean into them as I was thinking about this this uh, topic of training or discipleship um, I know pastor Stewart's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah I know his uh, team's going to be playing on the big stage tomorrow night right um, but so question for you brother if uh, if Dabo Sweeney the the uh, coach there at Clemson for those of you who don't know there's a national championship tomorrow night it's kind of a big deal for Anybody who's a fan of Alabama or Clemson, which I'm not either, sadly, I guess. But I'm an ACC guy, so I'm rooting for Clemson uh, all the way. But anyways, don't, don't judge me for that. Uh, um, but if Dabo Sweeney said, hey, uh, guys, we're, we're only going to, you know, we're a really good team. You know, we're whatever, 13-0, and 0, whatever it is. We're, we're just going to practice for three hours this week. You know, it's just Alabama. That should be good enough. How, how confident would you be, brother? Not very, right? Yeah. So uh, these men, these, these players and coaches, they practice for hours and hours and hours. I played high school football, and we practiced for way more hours than I thought we should have, and we were terrible. Uh, but, but these guys, they, man, they practice, and they're, you know, they're, they're so intense about uh, their, their, uh, their bodies and how they treat their bodies and what they feed their bodies because uh, they want to be the best athlete as they can possibly be, which is great. So they spend hours and hours uh, training and practicing, and, and then they, they go to the classroom, and they study, and they, um, they train mentally, and a uh, wide receiver will run routes in his mind, which I don't get, but they do that because it helps them. And so these, these men train, the youth, uh, our military how confident will we be in our military if they only uh, trained, you know, an hour a week or whatever? Probably not very confident. They, they train for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end because they know um, that training brings bring success. Um, I was talking to Pastor Stewart a little bit yesterday about the, the Clemson Tigers, and he was telling me how, um, a little bit about how each player on the team gets the same amount of reps in practice. Um, that when one goes down, the next one's ready to step in and, and take control, and they've all had the same amount of practice. And so for us as believers, how does that apply? How can we apply that to ourselves in training? And um, You know, um, it is about being ready to, to step into the next role, whatever that that might be. The goal is for all of us is to become mature. Uh, and when we, when we become mature, we can step into leadership roles or what have you within uh, the body of Christ that's what Christ wants for all of us is to be mature believers um, and that's not a overnight thing that doesn't happen uh, overnight. These players didn't um, they didn't go to practice one time and they were superstars. Uh, it takes hours and hours and hours of training and focusing and um, for us seeking the Lord pray, you know praying to the, pray, praying to God and opening his word and spending hours and hours studying uh, the scriptures that's how we grow. Uh, in Christ and in an obedience to Christ. Um, how much of a, you know, this is a question that God hit me with this week, um, thinking about training. How much of a difference can I make if I only train for three hours a week on a Sunday morning? You know, if I come to church and, and uh, listen to uh, the sermon and go to Sunday school and, and, um, and do that, and, you know, but if I, I leave it there for the rest of the week, how much, Experience or how much difference can I make uh, in those that are around me? I'd probably be a pretty ineffective Christian, um, and that's not what God wants for any of us, obviously. Uh, God is calling us to make a difference in the lives of those around us, and we must be trained to do so. Um, You know, guys, tomorrow night on that big stage, they're not going to make much of a difference if they didn't practice this week. Uh, If they didn't go to practice, they didn't study their playbook, they didn't study the script, whatever, uh, they're not going to make much of a difference in the game tomorrow night. And so God calls us to be involved, to, to, to train, and to, um, to learn about Christ so that we can be active in the lives of those around us. So why we need to be involved in discipleship? One, because Jesus has all the authority. Because Second, because he calls us to go and make disciples. And thirdly, because he's with us. Point C there is because Jesus goes with us. This is a great promise that the Lord gives us from his word. Uh, and we see the command there um, in verse 19 and the first half of 20. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He follows it up with a profound statement um, that I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to be with you always. And I'm sure the disciples thought that might have meant in the flesh with, with us always. Uh, but Jesus obviously goes to the Father and sends his, sends the Holy Spirit as a comforter and a counselor. Uh, and and Jesus, it works through the Spirit who lives with inside of each and every believer and wants to be active in our lives. Uh, this is a great promise, obviously, that the Lord gives to his children, but I want you to understand that that doesn't apply to somebody who's not his child. I'm sure you've heard people say, and I've... heard it said before that, well, we are humans. We're all God's children, uh, which is not true. We're all his creation. We're not all his children. We have to be a part of the family of God to be a child of the king. And so if you're outside the fray, you're not one of his children. And then this verse doesn't apply to you. And so I pray that you'll become his child today if you don't know him yet. Amen? Um, And so just understand that Uh, If you're a child of God, then then he's with you. He will help you through this process and help you understand how he wants you to be involved in discipleship. I read a very convicting statement this week. Uh, It was convicting convicting for me anyways. Uh, A commentator said this about the Great Commission. He said, this is the Great Commission, not the Great Option. And I was like, wow. Wow. It's the great commission, not the great option. We don't have an option in whether we're going to do discipleship or not do discipleship. It's a command to be involved in discipleship. I hope you begin, uh, as I have, way too late in my Christian walk to take discipleship seriously. uh, And to really lean into Christ to understand what he wants from me in terms of discipleship. Moving on to the second question how the how how do we perform discipleship within the church how what what kind of what does that kind of look like uh, if you want to flip over to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 um, bunch of books to your right following first Timothy <laughs> uh, there in this passage in 2nd Timothy uh, Paul, Paul, obviously, writing this to young Timothy gives us some insight uh, about what discipleship kind of um, uh, looks like or how we could do it. So, we're asking ourselves the how. How do we do discipleship? If you're there in 2 Timothy, Paul writing says this, uh, we're in verses 1 through 3. He says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what, if, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul gives us some insights about how we might be involved uh, in discipleship. And in the context of this, he's obviously writing to young Timothy, and he begins by saying, you then, my child. God wants us to understand that we're supposed to have children. And I know some of you have children, and uh, biological children, and that's important. And that's great, and praise God for that. But God wants us to have spiritual children. God wants us to have children like Paul had children. Um, I'm sure Paul had a bunch of spiritual children. And God wants us to have spiritual children, too. Obviously, Timothy was not the biological son of Paul, but he was the spiritual uh, son uh, of Paul. And like Timothy every one of us should have a Paul in our lives you've probably heard that said by pastors before that all of us should have a Paul a Timothy and a Barnabas a Paul that's going to push us and, uh, and help us to grow and come alongside of us and show us the way and how to do it we all should all also have a Timothy uh, an understudy that's going that's going that we're going to come alongside of and be a Paul to them and then for sure in the life in which we live we all need a Barnabas uh, Barnabas is uh, the son of encouragement. Um, he was an encourager. He was a, a, a man that would come alongside of folks and encourage people and be there for them, a shoulder to, uh, a, to cry on, uh, uh, a smile to, to have fun with and to laugh and to do those things that we all need in our lives. We all need somebody to encourage us. Obviously, for Timothy, he needed his Paul. Uh, I think you could all agree with that. I know for me, I need a Paul in my life. Um, I'm thankful to have several men like that, that have poured into me, that have helped me, that have um, blessed me with things that they didn't have to necessarily do, but they knew that's what God had called them to. Some of those guys will be here today, and they'll ask me some really, really tough questions later on, which I'm looking forward to, maybe, (laughs) Uh, because I want to learn. It's a, it'll be a learning experience for me, for sure. And so if you don't have a Paul in your life, man, I pray and ask you would seek that person out, uh, that, that lady or that man. Seek that person out. Find, find you a Paul. Um, especially as we go on in, in years here, it's, we're going to need folks like that to, to uh, help us through whatever, whatever we're going through. So Paul had spiritual children. That's the first step in the process of discipleship is to find somebody young and, try and, and pour into them. Paul also, uh, point B is Paul wanted his child to be strong. He wanted Timothy to grow in the knowledge of the, uh, the truth of Christ. He, he goes on there uh, in verse 1 and he says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that Timothy was weak. Uh, he makes he, There's things throughout both. First uh, Timothy and Second Timothy that he alludes to that would give you the idea. I think Pastor Stewart's first sermon uh, here or second somewhere in there was about fanning the flame, like get busy, Timothy, go do something for the Lord, right? And so Paul's uh, through throughout First and Second Timothy, you could you can see instances where where Paul is like get busy doing something. Now we're all not Paul, and God doesn't call all of us to be a Paul because he was a pit bull for the gospel. Um, and we're, we don't all have that personality. I know I don't. Uh, some some people do. But there are things that God's gifted us with that we can use for uh, for his kingdom and for his glory. So you do that, do those things, whatever that is. Uh, but here specifically, he's calling young Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Um, it's important to know that, um, uh, that God wants us all to be spiritually strong, which only happens... Through His grace, um, before Christ invaded my life, I was looking for grace in all the wrong places, right? I was, you know, partying on the weekends, having a good time with my buddies, and seeking uh, seeking things that I shouldn't have been seeking. And the Lord, the Lord invaded my life, and uh, and I'm f- so thankful for that for sure. But I was before that, I was not c- concerned at all about. Christ, but I wanted peace, I wanted grace, I, I didn't know I wanted it but I but I know I needed it and so um, that only comes through Christ, the only place that you can gain grace is through Christ, the world is searching for peace and grace in all the wrong places and, and we have the message that we can give them that we know where to find it we know to, where to find grace, right, we know what avenue they need to take to come to the knowledge of the truth Uh, about themselves and about God and how to have and find true grace and true peace. Uh, John Piper says this about grace, uh, which I found uh, interesting. He says, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Let me repeat that. Grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. He also says it this way. He says, grace is power, not just pardon. I found that profound that Sometimes we think of God's grace and we just think that just that forgives me for, my, for my, my sin. But grace is, it is that, but it's more than just that. Grace is the enabling, as Piper says, the enabling gift of God not to sin. Uh, and it's power. Grace is power. And that's what Paul is telling young Timothy here. He says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, there's no other place to find grace than in Christ. And with grace comes strength. Uh, and with strength comes the ability to go and do what God's called us to do. I know each of you here this morning—it's whatever it is, eight forty-eight this morning. Uh, we all need God's grace because it's early, and we all need strength, uh, and that comes through through grace. Uh, in second, you know the flip there, but in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, Paul says this about grace. He says, uh, "And God is able uh, to make all grace abound to you, so." that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You can't do good work for God without his grace. It's just not possible to do. And anything you do good for God is because of his grace, uh, to say it in a different uh, way. So Paul, had, Paul, Paul had, child, had a child, Timothy, and he wanted Timothy to be strong. Uh, point three there, C, is Paul wanted his child to strengthen others. You see you kind of see the process that Paul is walking through here with Timothy. He has a child. His name's Timothy. He wants Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and he wants Timothy now to strengthen others. We see this in verse 2. Uh, we see actually four generations of uh, spiritual parenthood here uh, in verse 2. He says, And what you, what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you have Paul, you have Timothy, you have faithful men, and then you have the others. And so this is the trickle-down effect of discipleship, that Paul is discipling Timothy. Timothy's going to take what he learns from Paul, and he's going to disciple faithful men. And prayerfully, those faithful men will take the gospel, take the, uh, the, the training, and, and, and give that and teach that to others also. And we see this process happen again and again in Senegal. Uh, God is doing some amazing, amazing things there, and the, the people there being so obedient to their calling, to what, what Christ has called them to do in the area of discipleship. Again, this is God's format, uh, one format for discipleship. Uh, one-on-one, one-on-two, whatever it is, training. Training uh, disciples that train disciples. Just as all of us should have a mentor like Paul, we should all also have a Timothy. I said that earlier. Uh, there should, there's somebody, I guarantee you, there's somebody in your life right now that's looking at you as a Paul-like figure, and they want you to come alongside them and train them. Um, and, and just pray about how God would have you to, to do that and be involved in discipleship. Because um, we all need our Paul, uh, and God's calling us all to have a Timothy. It's not God's desire that we grow spiritually, again, for self's sake. Um, That's not the the goal that that Christ has in mind. Now, obviously, God wants us to be mature, but he wants maturity for a reason. Um, Everything God does is for a purpose, and everything he calls us to do should be for a purpose also. And that's to pour into others. The goal of the Christian life is to, A, glorify God, and B, grow his kingdom, Um, whatever that looks like. Uh, in your context the, the fourth thing that we see here D is Paul wants his child to know the process would be difficult uh, making disciples is not uh, an easy task by any stretch of the imagination in fact the New American Standard uh, uh, says it this way it says suffer hardship with me I like the way this is uh, translated anyways uh, because it's about being together. It's about together. It's about suffering through together. Uh, Paul uh, was obviously going to uh, be imprisoned at some point uh, moving forward from here, and uh, and he knew that he need he needed to know that people were with him to help him, uh, and he wanted people to uh, to support him and pray for him and all those things, and just as well, Timothy needed that in his own life. Um, I know that some of y'all are hurting this morning. Uh, There's something going on in your life that you don't like and you can't explain or you don't know why it's happening. Um, And so y'all need a shoulder to cry on sometimes, right? I mean, we all need that. We all need people in our lives that are gonna come alongside of us to help us, uh, to hurt with us. Um, Be open to that uh, as you seek out your Paul. Uh, That's part of discipleship. That's part of, uh, that's part of being a Christian. Um, discipleship making is not easy, but it is uh, necessary. And discipleship is hard because it takes time and effort. Uh, there are, we live in a fast-paced society, uh, doing running in all different directions. Um, but focus on what God wants you to do in the area of discipleship. Uh, sometimes discipleship is just flat-out messy. You know, I know y'all know this, but we sin. Right, I mean, we all sin and sin has consequences, and consequences can sometimes be messy and so, in the area of discipleship, uh there will be times where you're like, "Wow, what do I do with this, Lord? Uh, but obviously Christ is with you, and he'll help you through whatever that is um i w- I will guarantee you this you won't enter heaven wishing you had done less. It just won't happen you won't enter you don't you won't walk into God's presence wishing you had done less in the area of discipleship in the area of anything in regard to Christ but for sure discipleship discipleship uh, God's calling us to be involved in the lives of people and he's gifted each one of you in a particular way to help you do that rely on him as as to how to do that best so we talked about the why we talked about the how now we're going to talk about the what what can happen uh, when we make disciples. What can happen through the process of discipleship? So if you have your Bibles open again, uh, flip over to Acts 19. Acts 19. Um, Paul is uh, in Ephesus in Acts 19. And uh, we're, we're going to start with verse 7, but I want to kind of give you some background uh, on what, what's going on uh, here. Paul uh, makes it to, to Ephesus um, uh, in verse 1 there verse 2 uh, Acts 19 uh, and he finds some disciples and um, Paul being the, the guy the kind of guy he was he just jumped into asking them a bunch of questions and so he asked them have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, and they basically say no we didn't know the Holy Spirit even existed um, and he asked them another question to what baptism were you baptized in and he says the baptism of John he's taught, obviously the uh, John the Baptist uh, uh, because we were the first denomination before the church even existed. <laughs> Never mind. But, um, just kidding, obviously. But, uh, so he, they said we were baptized into the baptism of John, and, and he kind of explains that, uh, explains what that is, and then he, uh, he enlightens them about, about Christ. He gives them, um, he corrects their error and their understanding. Um you see that in verse, uh, verse 4. He, he says there in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling uh, the people to believe in the one who was to come. Uh, and after him, that is Jesus. So uh, verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And, uh, verse 7 goes on to say there were about 12 men in all. Um, I find that interesting, interesting that obviously Jesus had 12 disciples. Now, in Ephesus, Paul uh, has uh, 12 uh, uh, followers or disciples as well. And so, um, point A there is Paul enlightens 12 men about Christ. We see that in verse 7. Uh, sometimes discipleship uh, involves fixing error. Uh, again, they're going to grill me here in a couple hours, and I might say something wrong, and they're going to have to fix some error that I m- might have in my understanding of Christ. And so, discipleship is uh, is uh, involves a lot of areas in our lives, uh, and one of those could be, might be fixing an error that somebody has. Second uh, Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Uh, some profound words that Paul gives to young Timothy. He says, "...all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for tra- and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work." And so God uses His Word to train us, to teach us, to bring correction. I know there's been times in my life where I've had a, a misconception about a passage of Scripture or something that I believed about, uh, about God, and and going to the word has helped um, mold and shape what my beliefs are about God. And so sometimes it involves correction. Um, part B, uh, Paul uh, speaks boldly the gospel. We see that um, uh, in verse 8, and I'll read uh, 7 through, through uh, uh, 10 here. Uh, Acts 19, there were about 12 men in all. Uh, Verse 8, he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. Verse 10, this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so in this passage, we see uh, discipleship, just happen and flourish and go and so the second thing we see there in verse eight uh is paul speaks boldly the gospel um paul had an open door because he was a jew paul had an open door to speak and introduce the gospel in the synagogue paul used his platform to evangelize the lost and so the question for me and for you this morning is how are we using our platform for christ how are we using what God's given us, the job he's given us, the school we go to, whatever the case might be, how are you using that to help seek the lost and, and uh, preach the gospel to them? Paul was, uh, again, a bulldog in this manner. He was, uh, he was a, a great gospel uh, uh, preacher and proclaimer. But where's your platform? Uh, where has God called you to be on a daily basis, whether that's at work or, again, at school or in a community setting where you can use that for God's glory to, to reach the lost? Use your platform. I encourage all of you to get involved in the way of the master coming up uh, in a couple weeks, a couple Sundays, the 20th, I believe it is. Um, God's going to use that in a great way in this community to reach people with the gospel. Be involved in that. Seek the Lord about how he would have you to do that. Uh, And use your platform. Use the platform God's given you to preach the gospel. Um, and Don't just be a one and done. Uh, Don't just preach the gospel to one friend and just leave it there. Paul was there for three months speaking in the synagogue daily. Uh, So obviously Paul, this was probably the longest he ever spent in the synagogue preaching the gospel. Um, Maybe in Corinth it was a little bit longer, but this was one of the longest he was ever at one place preaching and in the synagogue anyway, so be diligent to speak the gospel. You go to your job 40 hours a week or 60, whatever it is, uh, and so you're there a lot of the time. You use that for God's glory to reach people with the gospel. Um, I read somewhere, I don't remember where this was, I don't even know if it's uh, if it's actually uh, true or not, but I found it interesting nonetheless. It's Somebody said it takes, on average, a person seven times to hear the gospel before they'll respond to it. Again, I don't know if that's a true statistic or not, but I just say that to say, don't just preach the gospel to somebody and, and leave it there, because maybe maybe it hadn't clicked with them yet. Keep bringing the message of the cross back to their to their minds and to their hearts. It's important to keep that in front of them. Keep speaking. Keep speaking the gospel wherever you are. Uh, when, the, when the, uh, the gospel is proclaimed, resistance will come. Uh, we see that in, at the beginning of verse 9. Um, Paul, uh, write, or, uh, Luke writing, actually, um, he says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. I'd be willing to bet if you're preaching the gospel, people are going to get mad. Uh, it's just the way it works it's just how it is the world doesn't like the things of Christ uh, they don't like the message of the cross because it's a it offends them uh, because they they really in their hearts know they need him uh, but their will won't allow him to change them and I pray that they would give over to that get get rid of that um, Paul uh, is obviously uh, uh, again uh, just a great person uh, proclaimer of the gospel. And so he knows that resistance is going to come. He understands that people aren't going to be happy with what he has to say. And the NASB says uh, some were hardened. Um, The ESV says that some became stubborn. Um, People, when you proclaim the gospel, people aren't going to like it uh, all the time. And so it's just, just understand that, that that's a a part of the process. Uh, Some individuals were no longer interested listeners. They'd become very annoyed uh, by Paul's proclamation to the point where they became hostile to the gospel, speaking evil of it. Um, so understand, again, that that people aren't going like, to necessarily like what you have to say all the time. So because of this, we see in verse the, the rest of verse 9 that Paul withdraws. He withdrew uh, and trained um, the disciples. He withdrew from them and, uh, and took the disciples and trained them. And um, that it says there specifically, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. The end of verse 9. Uh, this is an important concept to grasp because discipleship is not for the world. Uh, discipleship is for the believer. We evangelize the world, we disciple believers. Uh, and so uh, Paul took those disciples out of the world. We can use the synagogue kind of as the context of the world. He takes them out and begins to train them uh, in the Hall of Tyrannius, And he pours into them and teaches them about Christ and about the things of Christ. Um, in Senegal, this is what we, this is what we teach, that um, when you're walking down the road or you're going to the market, anybody you meet, you ask them a question, are they a follower of Christ? If they say yes, you train them. If they say no, you evangelize them. That's what every disciple in Senegal is taught to do on a daily basis. Uh, and so we've had some uh, Senegalese share the gospel with five or six people a day, which is just flat out amazing. Um, in my, it's just, wow, that's awesome. Good stuff. Um, but that's how they're trained. That's what they're taught. And so obviously that's what Christ would ask of us to do that, to seek people out and to know whether they're a believer. If they're a believer, then we can train them. We can come alongside them and disciple them. If they're not, then we know what to do next. And if you take the way of the master, you'll know... Even better how to go about doing that. The last thing uh, we see there, which is just blows my mind, uh, in verse 10. I love this verse because it helps me understand what the end goal of discipleship is and what can happen as a result of being a disciple maker. Um, in verse 10 there, uh, Luke writing says this, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Wow, that's amazing. Um, if you're not familiar with, with what Asia is referring to there, that's modern-day Turkey. And some scholars said it was the western half of modern-day Turkey. So I did some math this week, and I found out that, that if you just take the half, half of modern-day Turkey, that's still three-and-a-half times the size of Virginia, uh, square miles-wise. So it's still a pretty big, large landmass. Um and so Paul takes his disciples away at the end of verse 9, and he pours into them and pours into them and pours into them. He never, it never says he leaves Ephesus there. never said he left. But he's there, and he's training them and teaching them and, and doing what, he, what, he, uh, what Paul does. So that after a two-year period, people all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I don't know how many people that is. I read that it could have been as many, many as 8 million people that, that were preached the gospel to in, in a two-year period. I don't know, but there's a lot more than lives in Stanton, I would be willing to bet, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Maybe even Augusta County, for that matter. And to reach that amount of people with the gospel in a two-year period, where there's no car, no cell phone, no internet, you're not, uh, you're not you know, getting on Instagram, and, and uh, you know, or what, I don't even know anything about that, but anyways, you're not going to reach a mass amount of people in a short amount of time, is what I'm getting at. Uh, and so it took, it took diligence. And so how did that happen? Uh, how, how could Paul reach that many people with the gospel in that amount of time? Well, it's because he poured into people. He trained folks who trained folks who trained folks who trained folks who trained folks until 8 million, let's say 8 million just for argument's sake, till 8 million people heard the gospel. Now that doesn't mean that all 8 million of those came to Christ, obviously, but they at least heard the gospel message and had a chance to respond to the message of Christ. And so, uh, it's just what God did through those, um, those men and, and women that were involved in the discipleship process in Paul's day is just amazing. How much more so could we do today with, again, Paul had himself and 12 guys that he started with there in verse 7. And two years later, all the, uh, all the residents of Asia Minor heard the gospel. How much could, Paul, uh, could God do with all of us sitting here for Augusta County? this coming year Uh, I hope that question convicts your heart about seeking the Lord about how he would have you to be involved in discipleship so what about you some some things that um, I thought about that would be good questions or or things to think about this year and Pastor Stewart obviously gives us uh, things to think about or questions to ask ourselves on a weekly or a week week by week basis for me, I've kind of given you some, um, maybe some lifelong things to think about. Um, the first one there is to, to seek God about your role in discipleship. Seek the Lord about how he would in, have you be involved in discipleship. There are a multitude of different ways you can be involved in discipleship. I've given you one example there from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, but seek the Lord about that. And then the second thing is to seek out opportunities to fulfill that role. Once you kind of have an idea of what that might look like for you, then go seek an opportunity that would help you to fulfill that role of discipleship. And then the third one I stole from Pastor Stewart last week is is Run With Endurance, the race of discipleship. Obviously, that's specific to discipleship training or or making trainers or being involved and pouring into the lives of others. But it's it's a race, it takes endurance to be a disciple maker and I hope and pray that each of you would seek the Lord about how he might have you be involved in that I don't know where you are this morning, maybe you're here and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ and this probably, none of this probably makes sense to you at all and so before you can be a disciple maker you have to be a disciple Uh, you have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and so if you haven't done that, I pray that you will quickly uh, seek the Lord uh, and what he would have for you. Thank you for your time, and I'll turn it over to Pastor Stewart now. And I hope you learned something from what I had to say. I'm humbled by this experience for sure. I'm thankful for men like Pastor Stewart to do this on a weekly basis. I'm not sure how they, how they go about that. <laughs>